Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for March 20th, 2018. On today's show, we'll be talking about film news, followed by a feature presentation with Slash Film Managing Editor Jacob Hall talking about the best and worst things he saw at South by Southwest 2018. Joining me for the news are Slash Film writers Huay Tran Bui. Hey, everyone. And Chris Evangelista. Hello. Uh, this is Slash Film Editor-in-Chief Peter Serretta. Uh Not that uh, if you're listening to this podcast, you probably already know that. Uh, but guys, let's just jump into the news. Um, there's a story that I've been wanting to get onto the podcast the last couple of days, the last couple of podcasts, but uh, it just didn't make it. And I wanted to have HT on to talk about it because she wrote it up. And that is Shia LaBeouf is going to play Shia LaBeouf's father in a Shia LaBeouf biopic. What do we know about this, HT? This sounds crazy. <laughs> It sounds a little bit crazy, but if you look into it, it actually sounds like quite uh, a impactful story. So Shia LaBeouf will be starring in a Shia LaBeouf biopic, but he won't be playing himself. That honor goes to Lucas Hedges, who is the Oscar nominee for Manchester by the Sea. And you might also remember remember him from Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri and Lady Bird last year. So Lucas Hedges will be, be playing a young Shia LaBeouf during his Even Stevens era. And the film which is called Honey Boy, will detail the relationship between Shia LaBeouf and his alcohol-abusing father uh, during their tumultuous relationship wet in um, Shia LaBeouf's early years in his acting career. So it's a film that is loose, actually based off of Shia LaBeouf's life. So it's not going to be um, having the real names of the characters. It will be uh, Romana Clef style, which is changing the names of the characters and fictionalizing the real events of LaBeouf's life. So Shia LaBeouf wrote this, um, co-wrote this screenplay for, called Honey Boy, um, and he wrote it under a pseudonym called Otis Lort, which he revealed was his pseudonym in an Esquire story earlier this week. And uh, he wrote it and it landed on the blacklist where it was picked up um, and will be directed by Alma Harrell. So it's 
the description according to the blacklist is a child actor and his law-breaking, alcohol-abusing father attempt to mend their contentious relationship over the course of a decade. So it will be sort of more of like a father-son um, relationship story and like with Hollywood as kind of the backdrop of it. And you will be able to tell that it's based off of LaBeouf's life, but it's not going to have his actual name. And um, Shia LaBeouf went into his sort of troubled relationship with his father in this um Pre, this Esquire piece that I just mentioned and uh, his father was sort of like sort of his um, uh, motivation for getting into the acting uh, industry as well as an obstacle in a way because he was a, a performer as well, a, a clown performer but he also struggled with heroin addiction and, and Shia LaBeouf himself ping-ponged between 12 steps program with his recovering drug addiction drug addict father and his acting career. So he's had a troubled childhood and that may actually be a good material for the film that we're going to see. This sounds so interesting. I'm just, I'm wondering, is this going to be a good movie or is this just going to be a big screen therapy session for Shia? <laughs> it might be both. <laughs> or both. Yeah. I mean, great art always comes from, uh, you know, some personal, uh, struggles i think um but let's move on to a bit of sad news and that is uh john musker who was the co-director of aladdin moana and a lot of the disney classics in the 1990s uh is retiring from disney chris you wrote this up for the site what do we know yes yeah, so uh john musker he's retiring after 41 years with disney uh he directed, like you say, directed uh, Aladdin. He also directed The, the Little Mermaid, um, Hercules, Treasure Planet, The Princess and the Frog. Uh, and the most recent one was Moana. Uh, he directed that with his um, his co-director, Ron Clements. He directed all these films with Ron Clements. And yeah, he just, uh, you know, he, he got his start uh, in the late, late 70s at Disney uh, as, a, as a character animator and then, you know, moved on to directing. And, um, yeah, it, it's a little sad because this, this feels like it's like one of the last few links to Disney's like traditional, like hand-drawn cell animation. I mean, you know, the, the CGI Disney films are, are great, you know, they look great, but there's a part of me, I don't know if it's like nostalgia or what, but there's a part of me that misses that, you know, that old school actually animated Disney look. And I guess they're, you know, they're, they're never going to go back to that, but uh, this is like, it's like one more link to that past being severed by him retiring. Oh, for sure. And I, I believe he was mentored by uh, one of the infamous or famous uh, nine old men uh, who Walt Disney employed. Um, so yeah, I don't know. It, it's very strange because I, I interviewed John Musker for Moana and like, he just seems, I mean, sure. He's an old guy, but he seemed like he was more energetic and excited about animation and making more movies. And I'm, I'm just, uh, I'm kind of, uh, uh, just don't know what to make of this because it, it, I don't know, talking with him, even off the record, it seemed like he was interested in doing more stuff. Um, so I don't know. It, it's kind of sad. Uh, I, I know, uh, I, I'm sure HT, you kind of grew <laughs> up with the Disney movies of the 1990s. Uh, so I, I'm sure he has, uh, you know, directed some of your favorite Disney animated films. Oh uh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. And, um, I also am on the same side as Chris in 
mourning the sort of death of hand-drawn animation. We haven't seen one of those from Disney since The Princess and the Frog. And The Princess and the Frog's sort of middling box office performance kind of killed our chances of seeing another hand-drawn animated film. And I'm really sad about that because I feel like hand-drawn animation, there's just a warmth to it that you won't really get with CGI. And um, yeah, I... I still have faith that we can get a hand-drawn animated film from Disney at some point. I mean, everybody in that company loves that medium. Uh, You know, for the longest time, I've been pitching this idea of, like, why not do a Roger Rabbit where, like, there's the world of animation and there's kind of like the ghetto, which is the 2D world. Mm. And, like, you know, all those people have kind of been forgotten and it's, you know, you can incorporate, you know, 3D computer-drawn I mean, a computer uh, rendered animation and hand drawn animation in in kind of like a Roger Rabbit type style, um, but uh, I'm not sure if that would do business. I'm, I'm not sure. Like, I know I've talked to, you know, I don't have a lot of relatives that are younger, but I've talked to uh, some kids, and you know, when they look at 2D hand drawn animation, they think it looks bad. Do well, they're like- wrong. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just weird. Like that's just such a weird mindset. Um, because I think some computer rendered animation, especially stuff on TV that has a lower budget, looks much worse than the best hand drawn animation, especially from like you know uh, Studio Ghibli and uh, the Disney classics. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, let's move on to um, an accident that happened in the movie theater. Um, I was joking on our Slack channel that we thought that the the uprising of AI robots were going to be the, the ones to kill us and do us in. But as it turns out, it is the, the posh movie theater experience that is coming to, to most of the upscale movie theaters. HT, what do we know? The furniture is attacking us, Peter. <laughs> uh, so a Birmingham, UK man has died in a freak movie theater accident involving one of the sort of posh reclining seats that you've been seeing popping up in a lot of high-end movie theaters. It's the kind where you have a little button and you can uh, control how to recline. And you see, it sort of gives this illusion of the private movie theater experience. And it's really nice. It gives you tons of foot room, but apparently not enough foot room for this uh, Birmingham, UK guy because uh, he, uh, in this accident, was trying to retrieve his phone that he dropped under his seat and he put his head under the footrest to find it um and at this point the seat the footrest was up but somehow it ended up closing down on his head and he got stuck underneath the footrest and uh he panicked and had a cardiac arrest and that is not the way you want to die (laughs) it's not it's not it's really horrifying it's it's honestly like my worst nightmare i think because it's claustrophobic and also just at the place that you think is a safe haven, you know, a movie theater. So he um, he ended up getting rushed to the hospital after the footrest was broken off, and he died a week later at the hospital. So, guys, when when you are in a movie theater next and, and you dropped your phone, are you going to think twice about you know reaching down through the you know the seat to to try to retrieve it? Um. <laughs> Probably, maybe, maybe I won't go to the movie theaters anymore. I don't know. <laughs> no, yeah, but definitely we'll have to think twice about that. Maybe um, bring around a, a selfie stick or something and try to use that to script to take my phone out. And uh, speaking of killer robots, as I was speaking about before, uh, Chris, you wrote this article up about the Chopping Ball remake 
which isn't going to feature killer robots. What, like, what's the point? <laughs> yeah, so there's a – I don't want to use the word. Yeah, and tell people what Chopping Mall is because some people probably yes. don't know. Yeah, so I don't want to use the word classic, but there is a uh, an 80s horror movie called Chopping Mall about um, this high-tech mall where instead of security guards, they have robots. And one night, a bunch of teens get locked into the mall and the robots go haywire and start killing them. So uh, there's going to be a Chopping Mall remake, and um, <laughs> the uh, the director uh, he, he's he's saying uh, that the film will not have killer robots. Um, the director, his name is Robert Hall, and uh, in a new interview, he said the film is going to have a supernatural bent instead with uh, killer mannequins, which you know. That's fine, I guess. I guess it makes more sense, too, but uh, I, for one, am outraged that this film will not have killer robots. Hmm. Uh, I don't know if I want to see a movie about killer mannequins. <laughs> I okay, I haven't heard of Chopping Mall. I'm sorry for not knowing about this cult classic, but killer mannequins were used in an episode of Doctor Who once, I will say. did not work out too well because they looked really bad and ended up just being really boring and awkward so i'm not sure if this will be any more successful have have either of you seen the i think 80s movie mannequin about a mannequin that comes to life yes i have and mannequin 2 on the move wait there was a mannequin 2 yes it's called mannequin 2 on the move now was uh the first movie was like a love story about a woman who falls in love with a mannequin that came to life is that or well, yeah, I, I thought the the woman was the mannequin. Oh, the or maybe woman was the mannequin. Right. It's been it a long Kim, time. It was, it was Kim Cattrall was the mannequin. And oh, of course. Uh, some guy fell in love with her, I think. That might be the sequel. One of those has that plot where someone falls in love with a mannequin. <laughs> so th- this could take place in, in the, uh, the mannequin universe. It could be a, the start of a new cinematic universe. The MCU. <laughs> <laughs> That's. That's bad. Okay, uh, <laughs> let's move on from there to something probably a little bit more serious, and that is the Weinstein Company has filed for bankruptcy. And uh, you're probably wondering, you know, what what does that mean uh, for everything? And uh, to find out the answer, I have HT who wrote up a whole article on the site about it. Yes. So the Weinstein fam- uh, Company has officially filed for bankruptcy uh, after months of stalled negotiations with an investor company that was supposed to uh, acquire all of its assets. But those talks fell through uh, at the last minute, and now the Weinstein Company is officially bankrupt. But in the process, um, it has canceled all its non-disclosure agreements, which uh, potentially mean that many of the women who uh, – were seeking to come forward against the form- disgraced former executive Harvey Weinstein now have the freedom to speak. So back in October, when the revel- revelations of Harvey Weinstein's history of sexual misconduct and assault were starting to come to the surface, um, it was reported that he was using non-disclosure agreements, NDAs, to silence a lot of his potential victims. Uh, some of the women who came forward, the 70 women who um, alleged multiple uh, misconduct claims against him broke those NDAs, but now uh, all of those NDAs are void, uh, according to the Weinstein Company. So we could potentially see even more victims stepping up to the public. 
I'm really curious if we're actually going to see more victims stepping up because, you know, we, we obviously had people like Rose McGowan who broke her NDA um, to speak out. But uh, mm-hmm. do you think um, do you think there were many more that uh, probably signed NDAs that were afraid to speak up that now will? Like, w- would that look bad for them because they I mean, I guess it's it, a legal document, right? Like, yeah, it's a legal document. Um, the Weinstein Company could have taken legal action against them since they did, you know, break their NDAs. But at this point, it's I guess it's more of a gesture of goodwill from the Weinstein Company because uh, in the process of the negotiations for the uh, business sale of the Weinstein Company, they were going to set up a victim's compensation fund for all the victims of Harvey Weinstein. So I guess this is sort of their other way of reaching out since I guess since that compensation fund probably won't be um, started at this point. Interesting. We'll have to see, uh, you know, what form this takes, and if if we do get a, a series of other uh, actresses and producers and, and whatnot coming out to speak a- against Harvey Weinstein. Um, let's move on to our last and final news story, and that is that Justice League is now officially the lowest-grossing DCEU movie of all time. Chris, what do we know? Yes, yeah, so I, uh, I, I personally did not see this coming because even though I didn't like Justice League, I assumed it was going to be a hit just because of the nature of the film. Uh, but no, Justice League is officially the lowest uh, grossing DCEU film. Even Suicide Squad made more money than Justice League. So um, in the piece I wrote for Slash Film, I, I sort of chalked this up to marketing because, you know, I, a lot of... I know a lot of people want to blame critics and say, you know, poor critic, you know, poor reviews kill Justice League, but Suicide Squad had much worse reviews than Justice League, and yet that made more money than this. And you know, as much as I didn't like Suicide Squad either, that film had really good marketing. I, I really liked the trailers for Suicide Squad. That made me sort of convinced, oh, maybe this will turn out to be a good movie. It didn't, but I went into the movie thinking it might be good. Whereas I don't think I liked a single trailer for Justice League. I thought all the marketing for that movie was just really bad and confusing. And it looked like a film that didn't know what it wanted to be. And I think other people felt that way, too. And it just killed the movie at the box office. I mean, for sure. Um, it, it's It'll be interesting to see, you know, with where DC is going from here and if uh, if they can make a comeback without totally rebooting everything. I mean, obviously they have Wonder Woman and uh, some people seem to like The Flash uh, and we don't know if Batman, what's happening with Batman. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it is shocking that, you know, the equivalent of, you know, The Avengers is right now as we speak the biggest superhero movie of all time in the box office and this is dc's equivalent of the avengers and it is their lowest movie of all time um do uh hd do you think uh that dc can make it can can recover from this i don't know i feel like they're too far gone to try to start over again especially so soon after uh man of steel sort of rebooted that in 2011 2011 yeah seems so long ago but it was only seven years ago um yeah, I mean, actually, yeah, I expected more for Justice League because it's the team up of these characters who are so beloved to all of us. And people knew of the Justice League characters 
for longer than they knew any of the Avengers. So it's so strange to me that people won't show up for a movie that has Superman, Wonder Woman, Batman, even if it's just an okay middling movie. So, yeah, I don't know. I feel like I can't see them trying to reboot again, but it's possible, especially after this sort of story comes out. You know, I'm I'm actually reading the book, The Big Picture, based on Chris's recommendation uh, by Ben Fritz. Uh, by the way, if you buy it on Amazon, uh, Chris's quote is the number one quote on Amazon's uh, page there next to a bunch of uh, uh, heavy hitters. Um, but uh, yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, and um, I just read this chapter on Marvel and uh, the whole Spider-Man situation at Sony. And uh, it's just very interesting the different approaches that the different companies take to the superheroes. And uh, Kevin Feige basically saying that he would have never rebooted the character, you know, uh, talking about Iron Man. That, like, you know, if, if Robert Downey Jr. stops playing Iron Man, he just expects to have someone else take the, 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 uh, the mantle. You know, it's not going to they're not going to do the origin story from from the start again. And uh, he, he said that was a, a huge mistake for Sony, which I, I mean, in in hindsight, yes, it was. Uh, but I, yeah, I just don't know what what DC can do moving forward other than to cling on to, you know, uh, the, the success of Wonder Woman. Um, but we'll, we'll have to see. But uh, I'm going to leave you guys here. And now for our feature presentation, I bring on Slash Film Managing Editor, Jacob Hall. Hey, Peter. How's it going? It's going well. Uh, so you just got done with South by Southwest 2018. This is a festival in Austin, Texas that takes place every year alongside a uh, music festival and a tech festival. But the film component has grown over the last decade uh, to become kind of a, a big film festival. Um, you were attending alongside uh, some of our other freelancers, right? Yeah, I was there with uh, Matt Donato and Meredith Borders, both of whom also have reviews up on the site you should check out. In fact, uh, Meredith reviewed one of the big movies I did not see, which was A Quiet Place, the upcoming John Krasinski-directed horror movie, and she loved it. I was surprised by how much people really loved A Quiet Place. So you can read her rave review online. I missed it, but I'm really excited to see that now. So I'm I'm very curious to talk to you about the films that we need to know about uh, coming out of South by, and also the things to avoid. But let's let's start with the good. What what is the best film you saw at South by? I feel bad because best movie I saw at South by is a movie that was already reviewed by Slash Film out of Sundance, and that is a horror film called Hereditary, the uh, director directorial debut of Ari Aster, and I don't want to say too much because the trailer does a really good job of not giving too much away. But this movie got under my skin in a way that is comparable to The Witch or Kill List. It says that uh, it's a very mature, dark, upsetting horror movie that even if you removed all the horror, it's still this really compelling, disturbing family drama. And it went places I was not expecting. I've already reached out to the publicist to talk to the director about his influences. I'm so interested to figure out where this thing came from. I mean, it's not a jump scare factory. You're not going to like scream and throw popcorn. But the entire two hours of this movie, I was just uncomfortable. Then the last half hour, I was terrified out of my mind. And in addition to being scary, it just, it's very thoughtful and beautifully shot and well acted. It has it uses the horror of what you what, what gets passed down from your family, like what you inherit from your parents. The title hereditary refers to that in both literal and more horror-centric ways, and I can't wait for people to see this. It really upset me in all the right ways. I am excited to see that. What, what else good did you see at the festival? 
Uh, the exact opposite of that, I, a comedy called Never Going Back. It premiered at Sundance, where it didn't get much of a response, uh, but people seem to love it at South By, and I'm not alone. Uh, A24 also bought this one, like they did with Hereditary. And it's these two girls named uh, Jesse and Angela, uh, high school dropouts living in small town Texas. And they're played by uh, Maya Mitchell and Camilla uh, Marone, who are brilliant. They have this incredible chemistry. And they're just these lazy slackers who you get the impression they're not stupid, but they spend so much of their time and cleverness thinking of ways to not get work done and get out of doing things that are responsible. And it just follows them in the week leading up to a planned vacation where they spend all their rent money on a trip to Galveston to visit the beach. And then they, a series of calamities derail their plans to make the money back. And I thought about uh, Richard Linklater in that it's a really good hangout movie. Mm-hmm. I thought about uh, Sh- um, um, I thought about, like um, the Florida Project and Tangerine and, and like those sort of slice of life um, down in the ground realistic depictions of place type movies. Yeah, and I thought of uh, Jody Hill because this movie is foul. It's so gross. It's some of the best poop and vomit jokes I've ever seen. It has so many great drug and pot jokes. I was laughing hysterically. So it manages to like be this uber-grotesque, raunchy comedy while also being this really compelling portrait of small-town Texas while also being the kind of hangout movie you want to spend time with these characters, even though they're idiots and they're remarkably stupid characters. <laughs> I loved them. I loved hanging out with them. And this is uh, the feature debut of director Augustine Frizzle. And uh, I saw another Jody Hill movie at this fest, and this is a better Jody Hill movie. This is, <laughs> it, is, uh, it, it has such a great... Uh, harrowing and incisive uh, depiction of modern day slackers, and I, I loved it so much. It, it's gross. Uh, if, 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 if if crap jokes and puke jokes aren't your thing, <laughs> you, you may not like this. But I was cackling, and it, it, it's so much fun. This was a film I had tickets to see at Sundance, but of course, uh, my wrist injury uh, took me out of that festival. Uh, what else did you see at South by? Uh, one that's coming to, um, I think, VOD relatively soon, because IFC got it, is Ghost Stories, directed by uh, Jeremy Dyson and Andy Nyman. It is a horror anthology about a guy who has a TV, an English TV show where he debunks fake psychics, and he's given three supernatural cases to go investigate that he's going to prove that they're fake, and he starts realizing wait, that wait, they may be true. It, so this is a narrative film. This isn't a documentary. It, it is a narrative film. And but it's a horror anthology where it's three separate stories, more or less. So he's investigating each story and each one's own separate thing. And I don't want to say too much because it comes together in a way that's really surprising. And it's has a lot of really cool practical effects. It's very spooky as a final stretch that blew my mind wide open. It's a lot of fun. Maybe a little uneven because like all horror anthologies, some stories are better than others. Uh but it's a really cool movie, and it's coming to. I, I, we'll find it out of date and post this soon. But it is going to be available to rent in VOD very soon, if not now. It, and I recommend this one a lot. You said this is an anthology. Are each segment directed by a different director? Uh, no, they're the same director. Uh, but it, it, it's, sort of, it's literally the guy has these three files, and he opens up one, investigates it by talking to the person. We flash their story, opens the next file, but it goes in. It goes in really fun creepy directions and has some really fun choices and some really scary choices and interestingly it's based on a play and i thought that would make this would make it feel stage bound but it doesn't i don't know how it could be a play they did a really good job of taking what was a one location uh show and making it into something that feels like it, belo- it belongs on the screen 
Uh, because my problem with anthology uh, movies are that there's not enough connected t- connective tissue. And I've always thought, like, it would be great if the directors work together, cast the same guy that goes through all the all you know of the different stories or something but uh, I, I, I guess you know this is not that film because well, I don't want to say too, I don't want to say too much because the connective tissue here starts off feeling like it's just connective tissue then grows into being something a little more prominent and crazy ah. than that so I don't like I said I'm, I'm it, 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 I, I interviewed the directors and the interviews going up on Slash Film this week and I asked them a question and they immediately said nope spoiler so they're <laughs> so, so I'm trying to edge around the stuff they told me not to talk about uh, so we'll uh, I recommend this one if you want a horror movie that's really going to stick with you and surprise you and not just give you you know a few scares and then vanish. What else should we be looking forward to outside out of uh, South by? A movie that has not been picked up for distribution yet, as far as I know, but it's really cool is a movie called Prospect, this low budget science fiction movie directed by Chris Caldwell and Zeke Earl, and it reminds me of uh, Duncan Jones's Moon in that it's this very scrappy, small, character-driven sci-fi movie that never feels cheap. It never feels small. It just feels like it's taking advantage of what it has to, to um, tell a story it wants to tell. And the basic gist is that this husband, I'm sorry, his father and daughter team of miners, played by Sophie Thatcher and Jay Duplass, venture to this uh, alien moon to mine for this strange alien or, uh, organism that creates these precious stones. And they meet a uh, drifter on the planet played by Pedro Pascal from Game of Thrones. And things go very wrong and people start dying. And it's being this survival story where these mismatched characters must uh, try to survive on this hostile planet and get off this moon. uh, Maybe with some money, maybe not without any money, maybe just with their lives. And it's in terms of story, it's very straightforward. There's no surprises here in terms of the actual one, two, three narrative of it. But the world on display is really impressive. The movie looks really good. It has amazing costume design. And through color correction and minor visual effects, these forest scenes that they shot in look like an alien planet. And very effectively, the film uses lots of dialogue and discussion to paint the larger universe. So while you never see other planets, uh, characters allude to them and talk about them and casually mention things that kind of break your imagination wide open and I left this movie wanting comic books and wanting uh, sequels and wanting TV shows uh, based purely on what I was imagining, not what I was seeing. And it's, it's a very special movie. And I really hope somebody picks it up and puts it in theaters. Hmm. And I'm very interested in that. Uh, what uh, What else did you see? Was there anything? I, I know you saw the pilot episode of Krypton. I did see Krypton. And it was only the first episode. And with all TV shows, I feel like I thought very long and hard about whether or not I should review Krypton. Because I really didn't like it. and But unlike other shows which played during South by Southwest, they usually premiere like maybe two or three episodes. Krypton only showed its first episode, which is only 42 minutes long. And it's not very good. It feels stage-bound and cheap and straightforward and not in a good way. I feel like when we have shows like Legion on FX and we have superhero movies like Black Panther that are like really doing new things and really pushing boundaries of what we expect from this type of fiction. Something that feels as safe and bland as Krypton, it almost feels uh, unacceptable. I'm not even like, it's not even that's a bad show or unwatchable show. It's just a hopelessly bland show and it could get better. I mean, there are seeds in the pilot that suggest maybe this is Game of Thrones in a sci-fi universe. They really want that. They really were pushing the idea of these various houses on Krypton in, in the 200 years before Superman was born, battling for supremacy, battling for the future of their planet. And maybe it can grow into that. And sci-fi 
has put a lot of money on this. It looks really good. It looks like it's a the, the sets look great, the visual effects look fine, but it's shot without any style. It's shot without any personality, and it really needs something. It needs something beyond these recognizable names if it's going to be something special. That that's too bad because I feel like that opening of Man of Steel, uh, the Zack Snyder uh, Zack Snyder film, uh, was so promising to you know create the, the world building of of Krypton, and uh, it, it sounds like an interesting you know way, way of doing it, doing like a sci fi Game of Thrones. But I've never been happy with uh, what Warner Brothers, CW, whatever they call themselves nowadays, uh, does with their programming. Uh, what else? Uh, if you could talk about one last thing that you saw at South by. Uh, what would you want to talk about? Uh, I'll talk about um, you know what, just one sentence throw-offs. Um, blind spotting. Saw it, you guys saw it at um, Sundance, or at least uh, Ben did. It's really good. See blind spotting, and I saw the Unfriended sequel, Unfriended Dark Web, which is a lot of fun. I liked it more than the first one. Go see it. So I want to talk about Barry, which is the other TV show that premiered South by that I really enjoyed, and this is uh, the new HBO show uh, created by Bill Hader and Alec Berg, and it's going to be uh, playing with. Silicon Valley on HBO this this year and it has a great premise which is a hitman from the Midwest travels to uh, Los Angeles for a job uh, tra- tracks his target to an acting class gets bitten by the acting bug and decides he wants to be an actor and what's really surprising about this is that Bill Hader who plays the lead role he's not playing a wild and goofy character like he tends to in other movies he's playing a very straightforward very um, upset <laughs> a very serious guy who just ha- who's really good at killing people. The show doesn't glamorize violence. It actually uses violence in a way that's that, that are really, really ugly and mean. And Bill Hader is really convincing at it. So by presenting him as being this genuinely unsettling hitman, when he starts realizing he wants to be an actor, it's genuinely funny because the, <laughs> the, the show surrounds him with these goofball characters who think he's just a shy guy when he's actually a sociopath. And Bill Hader... It's a very generous performance because he's not the one stretching for laughs. He's the one doing most of the reacting. So it's it's not the Bill Hader is wacky show. It's the Bill Hader reacts to everybody who is wacky around him show. And I was impressed by it as a comedy. I was impressed by how it handles uh, its crime elements. I laughed a lot. And this was the, the case where we watched the first two episodes. And the pilot was good. The pilot was, had a lot of heavy, heavy lifting, a lot of moving things into place. So when we watched the second one, I it was just hilarious. The second episode, like, really – made it very clear this is a show that has legs it will keep going for a while so and that wh- premi- yeah. Well, yeah when and when and where can people see this uh, it's gonna be on, on hbo starting on march 26th uh sunday nights it's gonna be i can't remember if it's before or after silicon valley but it's, it's, it has a very similar tone to silicon valley maybe a little more serious um but it's very funny and i really enjoyed the episodes i watched well, very cool. And uh, people can read all your coverage on SlashFilm.com. And there's also, as you mentioned, reviews from our other contributors. Uh, what would you suggest people look out from from them? I mean, you mentioned Quiet Place. Yeah, read, read Meredith's Quiet Place review for sure. She also really liked Cloak & Dagger, the new uh, freeform Marvel show. I wasn't expecting much from that at all, but she, she raved about it. She gave it a really strong review. As for Matt's reviews, I'd recommend looking up his review of Upgrade, uh, the which won the Audience Award for the Midnight Films this year. It's uh, directed by Lee Wanell, who wrote all the Insidious films and directed Insidious 3. And it's essentially her meets John Wick. A, a guy gets an AI implanted into his body, and it helps him get revenge on the people who destroyed his family. It is extremely violent and extremely fun. And I enjoyed it a lot, but Matt really loved it. He wrote a really passionate rave for us. So read that one for sure. Very cool. Jacob, thanks for joining us. Uh, thank you, Peter. 
You can find more about all the stories we mentioned on today's show at SlashFilm.com. SlashFilmDaily is published every weekday, bringing you the most exciting news from the world of movies and television and deeper dives into the great features from the site. You can subscribe to SlashFilmDaily on iTunes, Google Play, Overcast, all the popular podcast apps. Please send us your feedback, questions, comments, concerns to peter at SlashFilm.com. And uh, please go rate and review us on iTunes. Spread the word. Tell your friends. And we'll see you tomorrow.